Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. 5-6, they started memorizing the first five books of the Bible. And they would do that. It would take them several years. And by the age of 10, the little girls would go help their mom, and the boys without iPhones, who were the best of the best, these were the smartest ones. They had it memorized. They knew it well. These boys would continue on. And by age 11 or so, they would embark on memorizing the whole Bible, the whole Old Testament Bible, by memory. No iPhones. And the best of the best of those kids, by age 14 to 15, who had memorized the whole Bible, knew it inside and out, could be quizzed and tested on it, these kids would then begin invited to another school called Beit Midrash, where they would sit around day after day and listen, year after year, For five years, they would listen to their rabbi and other rabbis teach them the meaning of the 38 books of the Bible that they've just spent 10 years of their life memorizing. And if they were good, best of the best, Top Gun. Top Gun 2 is coming out. I can't wait. Child of the 80s, sorry. Um, Best of the best, age 20. If they were really, really good, the rabbi would say to them, come follow me. And they would embark on the next 10 years of their life, watching what their rabbi did, going where he went, listening to what he said, and living the way that he lived. How's your education doing, by the way, in the Bible, right? When Jesus meets his disciples, he does not meet necessarily the best of the best. He didn't pick out the A-gamers, the A-listers. Perhaps you could feel that way this morning. Maybe you're sitting here thinking, I could have never done that. Maybe that means I'm just average or not great then. These guys were already working. They had already dropped out at some point, by 10, by 15, by 20. And they were serving and they were apprenticing a trade that they would do until they could no longer get out of bed in the morning. And here comes Jesus to these average, underperforming people. And he says, come, follow me. We might miss the meaning of that words, but it did not escape them at all. They knew exactly what he meant. And they probably had mixed feelings, and their feelings could go like this. I didn't make it before. Why would you think I could make it now? Or maybe they thought, Here's my second chance. This rabbi wants me. He sees something in me. And so they left their families and their way of life and their communities, and they went where he went, and they watched what he did, and they listened to what he said. And then he plays another reverse card on them. And it's not the plus four with four colors on it. It's just the reverse card. Luke chapter 6, 12 says, One of those days Jesus went to a mountainside to pray, 
and he spent the night praying to God. And when morning came, he called his disciples to him, and he chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. What's Jesus doing here? Well, it's a tremendous reversal card. How many, how many tribes were there in Israel? The answer, yeah, good. Some of you are awake. And so he calls out 12 of the disciples, not necessarily the best of the best or the A-listers. We know Judas was one of them. Judas eventually betrays him. He calls out 12 disciples, and he says, I'm not actually calling you disciples. I'm calling you apostles. In the Greek, it means a sent one with a message. They were not to live just like Jesus lived and believed what he taught, as you would do with a rabbi. But they were to go announce the very things that he was announcing. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe. And how would we know the kingdom, one would wonder. How would we know the kingdom of God is near? Well, remember the scroll Jesus read. The poor hear good news. The bound get free. Have you ever been bound by something and gotten free? That's good news. The blind gain their sight. Again, Jesus' words have a physical dimension to them and a spiritual dimension to them. Have you ever been blinded by something? You can't see it, you can't grasp it. Maybe this is like what it means to become a Christian for some of you. I thought it was this way and these scales fell off my eyes and now I see. The people stepped on, the people who are oppressed. Again, there's a physical dimension to oppression just like Israel was oppressed under Rome, but there's a spiritual dimension to it. There were demon oppressions going on that Jesus would deliver people from. The people stepped on are no longer held down, and rejoicing has come, the year of the Lord's favor. This is what these disciples, these new apostles are hearing and listening, and so Luke chapter 6, today's passage, takes us to Jesus, and it says this, that he looked at his disciples. And scholars are fascinating the way that they're dealing with this passage, reading them. There's something about the word looked at that's really got a lot of traction and attention from theologians and scholars through the ages. It's not just looked at. The first time I saw Angela Kay, I looked at her, but then there was another time that I looked at her, right? There's a looking, and then there's... a Well, never mind. So, (laughs) it says, Jesus looks at his disciples. He saw this light emanates from him, and perhaps they saw him. And what he's about to tell them, he's telling you today, if you're listening, and if you're a Christ follower, he's speaking to you through these very words. And he's going to describe for you as you follow him and serve him and love him. And if you're on the outside of that and you're wondering what does it mean to follow him and serve and love him, he's about to tell you what it's like in his service. Listen to what he says. Luke chapter 6, verse 20. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. 
Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Blessings. But then he offers some warnings. Listen to the warnings. To you who are rich, a very serious warning. You've already received your comfort in this world. For you who are well-fed now, you'll go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how our ancestors treated the false prophets. That's not the kind of blessings that I thought we're supposed to be pursuing. Jesus starkly, and it is stark, I can tell the energy in the room has gone down. Some of you are thinking, tell us something funny now. Bring it back up a bit. <laughs> Jesus starkly contrasts the blessings of, the, of his kingdom versus the things that we seek as blessings in this life. And he makes very clear the blessings in his kingdom are very often the things we work so hard to avoid. Let me say that again. Jesus starkly contrasts the blessing of his kingdom versus the things that we seek as blessings in this life. And he makes very clear the blessings in his kingdom are very often the things we try so hard to avoid. You see, if life is the pursuit of wealth, beauty, power, talent, and intellect, You will find yourself, if you pursue wealth, the least secure person. If you pursue being loved, you will find yourself the least loved. Talent, there's someone always better to come along who will take your place. Intellect, there's always someone smarter than you are. Skill, there's always someone who will achieve more than you do. This passage is clear Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to us this morning as well. And so for those of us who are following Jesus today, this is a great reminder of the way things are in his kingdom, not our own kingdom. I think this is Jesus' way of revealing what's really true. And I have a couple of thoughts and questions related to this passage for us. First of all, it is not wealth which brings a false sense of security and false assurances that will be the way you're blessed. But rather, a poverty in our spirit is a true blessing. Poverty of spirit, that's the language used also in Matthew 5, where a similar uh, telling of this sermon is present, is humility to acknowledge our very bankruptcy. That's what poverty of spirit means. I'm bankrupt. I know a friend met a friend a few years ago. He actually went bankrupt and lost everything. And he spent the first few years of that reality in deep shame. He removed all his friends. He stopped going out. He was ashamed to tell everyone what had happened to him. And then he met Christ. And he experienced true wealth. Humility of spiritual bankruptcy. But it's got a second positive sense There's a poverty of spirit that is also a dependency on God. 
Here's how we have always acted. When trouble comes our way, we count our own resources or our own ability to solve our problems. And then along comes something that we cannot solve. And we learn dependency. This is why Jesus is saying the blessed are those who have a poverty of spirit, who depend on me, who trust in me, who understand I'm the one who provides. The blessed person counts God's ability. There's a third dimension. What about those who would say just poverty, simply financially poor? Listen to this parable. You'll see, sorry, this proverb. You'll see God's tender compassion. Proverbs 14, 31. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors God. So this morning, sitting here, do you consider yourself a poor person or a rich one? Second thought on this passage is it is not being satisfied in this life that is the goal, but being hungry and thirsty for God. We sang a song just about that a few moments ago. Think about when you are well-fed, you lack for nothing. Now, I know this time of year, it's like November 1st hits, and I I can't think about anything food-wise but Thanksgiving Day. I do, and it's go-to-town city. Think about that feeling after you've just gorged yourself that you hate yourself so much. You have to go take a nap, right? This is what Jesus is saying. He's instructing his disciples to understand if you find your satisfaction solely in the things of this life, you'll miss his life. He's not teaching us to abandon the world. Jesus is not saying Just reject the world, avoid any sort of material blessings, not at all. But what he's saying is, you need to understand what true blessings are, and you need to hold the blessings of this world loosely and rightly, for they do not last. You know, every once in a while I see on a website, and it shows a picture of a celebrity, and it says what they look like today, and so I'll click on it. And it's, you have to wait to the end to see. I just want to see that celebrity. I don't care about all these others. And so you just keep going next. And you see all these people and you find out, wow, that didn't turn out well for them. And you start to think, I wonder what I'm going to look like at that age. That's the point that I think Jesus is making here. For those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they see God and he is the one who satisfies Are you a person who's hungry and thirsty for righteousness? Third, it is not alleviating pain and running from it. To quote the great North American theologian Carly Simon, I haven't got time for it. I sat recently with a friend who's in her 30s, and she's dating a guy in his 30s, and it looks like the relationship which was so promising is about to fade away, and she's heartbroken. You see, those who weep and are in touch with the suffering and the disappointment of this world, they realize I don't always get what I want. They'll be satisfied when there's a day 
of no more tears, no more disappointment, no more pain, and no more death. This is precisely what Jesus is getting to with us. What are you weeping for in this life? I know many people who weep because they thought life would go this way and it ends up going this way. And it's not the way that they wanted it to go at all. What makes you weep in this life? Lastly, number four, it is not finding acceptance in this world and being loved, but knowing Christ. And the more you know Christ, the less you might be liked by some people. Now, this is true of us, whether we're 50, 60, or 70, but especially true, I want to speak to our teenagers, our college kids in this room today. Your goal in life will be very elusive if it is to have other people love you and celebrate you. Jesus is assuring his disciples, if you're hated because of me, not because of you, let me nuance that. If you're hated because of me, because you follow me, because you believe in me, because you found my words to be true and my kingdom to be real, if you're hated because of me, then I want you to understand something. That's the way that the plan of God has worked in human history. It is the rejection of Jesus that is the plan of God for the salvation of the world. Even in my own hometown, Jesus would remind them, they tried to take me out. It is the rejection of Jesus that has become the plan of God. This is why there's a glimpse of this in the Apostle Paul when he says in Philippians 3, I want to know Christ. That sounds really great. I think many people would like to memorize that first half of the verse. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection, period. But unfortunately, in this sentence, there's no period. Listen to what it continues. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. If you want to understand what it means to know Christ, it is also knowing the power of his resurrection at work and even participating in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Someone, somewhere, will say they don't like something about you or me. And Jesus says, if it's because of me, you are blessed. The rejection of Jesus was at the heart of the redemption of humanity. Okay, as Ben mentioned at the beginning, it is the observance of All Saints Day, and it's a special day because we bring into the visible community of God brook pots to be baptized all Saints Day emerged in history as a remembrance of those who fought the good fight, who ran the race, and who kept the faith. And some of their names we remember, and some of them we knew as well as intimate family members or friends. And some are not even known at all. But Jesus says they are blessed. I want you to think about that. Because their faith, their fight is now face-to-face -face 
with Christ. It is also a day to encourage those in this room and the church abroad who are still fighting the good fight, still running the race, and still keeping the faith. When Jesus called his disciples, he did not call the best, the brightest, the smartest. In fact, in another place, the people who are watching the disciples were amazed. They said things like this. These are simple fishermen. Who taught them this stuff? Who did this to them? What's happened? What amazed them was that these disciples lived differently, they loved differently, and they longed for different things. They had a different set of values, kingdom values. And they followed their master, and they did what he did, and they shared what he shared. And listen to this. They turned the world upside down. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, for they will exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Let's pray. Oh Lord, these are passages that we have a hard time embracing and a hard time understanding and even for some of us a hard time believing but these are your words and I pray that you would give us wisdom and insight into them by the power of your Holy Spirit that we will understand what it truly means to be in your kingdom now and the kingdom to come. Thank you that you have revealed to us the truth of this kingdom. And may we live in it fully. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.